Welcome everyone back to the Love Better Podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Emily. And today we are so excited to have Julie Kratz with us. Thank you. Julie is a speaker, trainer, author, and she develops inclusive leaders. And the first yeah. time we met, I thought, okay, we've got lots to talk about. I know. And finally the day has come where we've got you here to talk about uh, really engaging with the world in a more yeah. helpful way. Mm-hmm. I know. It was one of those conversations that I think was supposed to be an hour, and it was like two and a half hours. I was like, yes. we got to go somewhere. <laughs> I know. I know we need to like turn this into a meal. I'm getting hungry. <laughs> I know. We, I'm so glad we're continuing the conversation because you know things that I need to know more about. <laughs> and I think really we all do. Um, I think our, fir- our fifth podcast ever here at Love Better was about racial reconciliation. reconciliation. And it was such a big subject to cover. It was basically just the beginning of a conversation for us and the culmination of a lot of thinking and conversations we'd been having. And we feel like it's time to continue the conversation. I agree. With you. I agree. And you do this all the time. Every day you go into companies and talk about this. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the questions that you get? Why Why is this important? Uh, yeah, that's the foundation, right? So why is diversity important? And <laughs> I don't love to start there, um, but you got to meet people where they're at. And so they may be asking as a leader, hey, we are looking around our leadership team and it definitely isn't as diverse as it could be. Um, inside the walls of most organizations, they're wrestling with it. It's 80% generally white male at the top of any organization, even nonprofits. So it, it is stark, it is everywhere, but I think the biggest problem is, is that people are unwilling to engage. Yep. I feel so uncomfortable, I couldn't possibly know how to start this conversation, have it in a safe way, Lots of risk, no reward, steer clear. Mm-hmm. And as I get more curious, you know, I think that the, once you get past the why does it matter, I understand why it matters. Um, maybe that's the business case, maybe what I call the human case about me personally, why I care. Then it gets a little deeper of like, okay, so and so on my team's doing this. Mm. <laughs> Insert bad behavior. Right. It's, and define a bad behavior. You know, there's things called, so there's a there's a lot of diversity terms that I use, so forgive me, my diversity dictionary. Okay, we need to know this. <laughs> but one of the terms for bad behavior is called a microaggression. So it's really when someone says or does something, really with not bad intentions, no one's bad intentioned with behavior that could be interpreted to be racist or sexist or whatever ist, but... They say something that really doesn't make someone feel welcome sure. or belong. Um, and, and it's such a primal need for humans to feel welcomed and that we belong in settings. Mm-hmm. And we will not stay in a place where we do not feel we belong. Well said. And, and so those little subtle, I call them chinks in the armor. It's kind of death by a thousand cuts, if you will, an interruption. And then not being included in some sort of event that you might have been wanting to go to. Mm-hmm. Overlooked for a promotion. Um, someone just blatantly saying, you know, you don't look like an engineer if it happens to be somebody that's maybe of color or a woman. Wow. wow. So those types of things, microaggressions raise, sometimes they're macroaggressions. Mm, right. But a lot of times they're so subtle that you don't even really notice it unless you're the person on the receiving end. Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot of education 
opportunities to spend and correcting those in a safe way. Mm-hmm. And simply just, I, I spend a lot of my time giving people conversation starters around this of, hey, if you see something, say something. And especially if you are of the majority group where people tend to look like you, behave like you in the organization, you're in a position of power. You could really be an ally for the person that might be misunderstood or underrepresented in the organization. So how do you say something of like, hey, she was still talking, let's go back to her. Mm. Or, hey, when you said this, my perception was this. Here's something you might want to think about. How could we get better? How could we say that differently next mm-hmm. time? Good. You know, safe language. No one's going to get ruffled. Uh, it's not going to turn into a big defensive war. Um, usually on the other side of that brave conversation is some real trust building, like some real awareness. Like mm-hmm. that's when the beautiful stuff happens, but it's the muckety-muck right. to dig through. Yeah. Yes. It's uncomfortable. And being the first one to say something always mm-hmm. feels like dangerous territory. Mm-hmm. But it really, in reality, you're, yeah, I'm learning, mm-hmm. it creates safe, safe territory mm-hmm. to be the one to speak up for someone who may not say it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so much better received. Mm-hmm. Because if the person that's underrepresented says it, like, yeah, I was still talking, we tend to label that behavior. You know, the words that we would use for mm-hmm. that behavior to further diminish the person sure. versus somebody in the majority group. Hey, what what do they have to win right. in this? Like, this right. is obviously not personal for them. This is, they're choosing to engage with no real personal reward. So we're going to listen to that person more likely. Mm-hmm. And we're just used to listening to people that look like that, too. <laughs> yeah, important. Mm-hmm. Are you working with CEOs or COOs um, or HR directors or all all of... Yeah, you know, I've been more intentional about my business model. I mean, in five years in, it's, it's interesting what happens. You look through your Rolodex, you look through the people you've done business with, it's like, hmm... I used to say things like I'm industry agnostic because I spent 12 years in corporate America in five different industries. So to me, industry doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Industry does matter to the organization. Now, does it really matter? Like, I like to challenge that still, but Mm. the finance industry, for example, where I spend a lot of my time, you know, the majority of financial decisions, whether that's banking, financial um, services, whatever it may be, they're, they're made by women. And when you look around, the top 20 banks in the United States, there's only one female CEO still. Really? Wow. Yeah, I keep, would not keep find that this surprises you even still today. It, it does me. Uh, I know people love to say, oh, it's getting better, right? We have, they love to tell me, especially with women, we have a woman on our leadership team. <laughs> one, we oh, have one whole woman. Yes. Wow. Wow. Woo really cutting edge there right and let me guess she's an HR or marketing because mm-hmm. that's the only place that we usually let women mm. succeed because they have to do with people mm-hmm. which by the way that is a totally gender socialized thing that women are good with people <laughs> men and women are equally split across collaboration and the more we put people in these boxes it's just really not fair to anybody no one benefits men or women right. white people people of color the more we separate people, the worse everyone feels. About Isn't that them. so true? It's not good for anyone. Yeah. And, and to, to answer your question, Scott, you know, so I focus financial services as one, higher ed. There's a real curiosity um, for students and faculty to get better at unconscious bias mm. and things like that. Mm. Um, technology. Wow. So much opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. AI mm-hmm. is largely being developed by white men and a fraction of Asian 
men mm-hmm. um, but for the most part I mean it's more than 90% and you think about AI's artificial intelligence's mm-hmm. impact on our future Huge. right the technology is being Huge. built by by a certain type of person it's going to fit that type of person right and one of the other industries I focus on automotive riddled with examples of the car is built for men hmm. the seatbelt you know think about the seatbelt oh, does not yeah. fit women it cuts properly cuts my chin off That's every true. time as in it crash test dummies for the longest time were male bodies male bodies How funny wow. <laughs> i know when you think about it's riddled with examples everywhere yeah and the more that we build the world just for one type of person mm-hmm. the more it doesn't work for that type of person, or for anyone, right. for that matter, because you're just getting this one lens, just one perspective. Mm-hmm. You're missing so much more. Do you? What are some examples um, where you are seeing growth in that area? Mm-hmm. You know, I wish there were more good examples. Um, I, I do see sparks. I mean, there there are some sparks right now for positive change. Um, for example, when you think of diversity as a whole, the, the four key categories that people focus on, and I would argue there are far more than this, but mm-hmm. race, gender, abilities or disabilities, and um, sexual orientation, the mm-hmm. LGBTQ plus community. That's an example that has really, there's been a lot of positive progress mm-hmm. in the LGBTQ community uh, in the last 20 years. It's an interesting case study, I think, for us all to learn from, because the things that they did really well, for example, 20 years ago, very few people were supportive of gay marriage in the United States, so less than 20%. Now, it's approaching the majority, 70 or so mm-hmm. percent, yeah. and it's increasing. So what happened in 20 years? Right, because it's pretty fast on me- mentality. The social change does yeah. not happen that quickly right. anywhere. Yeah. Civil right. rights, women's suffrage, women's suffrage was 100 years. 100 years, what in the world took so long? I know, that's a lot of questions. And we're only gonna, su- it's only been 100 years next year, not even yet. <laughs> So no social movement, race and gender-wise especially, has ever happened that quickly. So what can we learn from that community? They engaged allies. Straight allies were very much a part of the conversation. So as soon as straight people realized they had a friend, a family member, a coworker, someone they knew that was gay, bi, trans, whatever it is, they thought, oh, well, shoot, this could actually impact me. <laughs> Me, because I know this person. Right. Right. So they and leverage I care that about empathy. this person. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think allies is huge, and I talk a lot about what it means to be an ally and lead like an ally in organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing is focus on common values. So we, we focus diversity on what's different, mm-hmm. and the word itself is divergent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Focus what's on this at, at the same at the same core. That's and so, great. Right. So something like yeah. gay marriage, for example. Mm-hmm. Christian people, you know, people of all walks of life tend to value marriage, not always, but it tends to be a common belief that you grow up and you get married. And so by focusing on that issue, they were able to build common ground mm-hmm. with the straight community and get support much quicker. So common ground allies. Yes. <laughs> Taking pages from those books. Right, <laughs> right. And, you know, I did not realize most of my life, I just turned 50 in June. Mm-hmm. So this half a century of me not understanding how to use my voice mm-hmm. to speak for somebody who doesn't isn't automatically given a voice mm-hmm. in a certain room full of people. Can you help us understand how we can do that better? Mm-hmm. Yeah, tap into the voices that aren't heard. Yes. A lot of times we assume if someone's quiet that they don't want to speak up. 
that's hard for people in the the dominant or majority group. Like, well, they didn't say anything, so they must not care that much. That's the assumption. Mm. So instead, if you do happen to fall in the majority group, and we all do in different circumstances depending on where we are, but if you're in the majority group and you see somebody that's quiet, ask what they think. Mm. I mean, simply bring them into the conversation. I'm always looking... When I give my talks, I'm always looking for the person that's more reserved. I, I love, this is my favorite type of person, actually, <laughs> is the person that has their arms crossed and they're like, scowl. Yeah. Why am I here? I hate this. Yeah. You know, I did a training, Friday morning, 8 a.m. diversity training. There's a lot of that behavior, right? Mm-hmm. A very pretty male-dominated what organization. What am I doing here? Yeah, yeah, why am I here? You know, there's people running in late, like, oh, shoot, I'm in trouble, you know? <laughs> Coming in defensive already. She's like, I really don't care about this because I'm late to the party. <laughs> right? Right. Right. Uh-huh. That's rough. You can yeah. only guess what categories of people they were. Uh-huh. But I think, you know, what's interesting about that to me is those are the people that need our help the most. And even if they're only there because they have to, because their boss told them they had to, or because they have a compliance training initiative. Mm-hmm. This is an hour and a half I get with that person to reach them. Mm-hmm. When I may, I, I likely would not have had access to that person without that window being created. So, so true. We're, we're gonna go for it. Mm-hmm. And the biggest thing too is to make sure voices are equally being heard. Um, take a barometer in a meeting or a team setting, group setting, whatever it is, take a pulse on who's speaking. You know, who's talking the most? Who seems to be heard the most? Mm-hmm. Who's being interrupted? Mm-hmm. Um, who, I love this this thought, who in the meeting, who in the group, when they say yes to something, it's a go. Mm-hmm. That's a signal of influence. Mm-hmm. Right. How could you tap into that, right? And if you are in a position of influence or power or privilege, whatever it may be, we all have the settings in which we are, Leverage that for others. Pay attention to whose voice isn't being heard and bring them right into the dialogue. But take a temperature at your next meeting. Mm. I, I, I have a hunch what kind of demographic is going to fall into that category. <laughs> right. But change it. If, you, if you're aware, only when we become aware of things can we change mm-hmm. things. Yes. Got to become aware first. And it's painful. Yeah, because you have to admit that you don't know all, all right. the things about the things. <laughs> a couple of years ago, I took an inventory of who I was spending most of my time with. You know, we both have peer groups. Yes. My peer group is still white women, mm-hmm. and it bothers me. It right. really bothers me. Yeah. And we have been intentional about adding diversity to the group, but we still haven't done it. And, I mean, we do have diversity of role and what we're focused on, but demographically mm-hmm. speaking we could probably do better yes we're in indiana there's all the excuses i could rattle off sure yeah but i can do better than that right I, well, and i'm aware of it because i'm aware of it then i can do something better 100 mm-hmm. percent. yeah listening is the number one skill of an att- or number one attribute of an ally mm-hmm. you listen more than you speak mm-hmm. and be willing to just sit in conversations that are uncomfortable and just be okay with it mm-hmm. No one needs more white saviors, right? We think we're such saviors. Yeah. This is not my privilege for um, you. Yeah, so, um, <laughs> yeah, just shut up and, and listen, I think. Yeah, yeah to put and it don't nicely. offer any solutions. I think that's the hardest part because we all want, as soon as we see a problem, we want to go right to solutions. Mm-hmm. And so many of these things, when you think about, I mean, for especially for um, African Americans, you know, slavery has been around for, or it was just 400 years ago. Mm-hmm. 
400 years later, we're still wrestling. Of course, we're still wrestling with the aftermath of this. It was only 50 years ago we had civil rights. Right. Right. One thing I didn't know as a white woman, and and shame on me, but also shame on our education system for not telling the story. (laughs) I studied women's studies. (laughs) Right. I was really into this. I did not know until a year ago that black women did not get the right to vote until 1964. 1964, Mm -hmm. guys. That was Mm -hmm. mind-blowing. Totally mind-blowing. So as I'm talking about women's suffrage... (laughs) As a white woman, I mean, how appalling that must be for women of color. Like, oh, good for you. <laughs> right? And, and, you know, I could choose to be like, well, fine, I can't do anything right. I'm, I'm you know, picking up my marbles and leaving this conversation like a child would, right? Or I could say, you know what? I get that. And I will do better. Yeah. I don't have the answer right now. Help me. Help me. I'm open to suggestions, but... Let me be better. And that's the only way that I really learned about these things by being really vulnerable mm-hmm. and telling people about the times I got it wrong. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the things I used to say as a teenager to some of my friends of color, I mean, it's just appalling when I think about it now. Mm-hmm. Um, I use this as an example sometimes in my talks just to pr- give, s- provide that brave space for other people to share their stories. You know, I had a childhood friend growing up. His name was Ron. We sat next to the each other on the bus every day, going to school. And um, I think he was biracial. He had very light, um, African-American, but very light skin. And I would tell him that he was like a white guy to me. <laughs> he mean, was like, thank you. He would just, he, he never uh, corrected me. And right. He smiled in a way that I thought it was a compliment. But in hindsight, I'm like, so I just stripped him of a part of his identity. Right. Yeah. And more importantly, I acted like that was a compliment mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. white. Like it was there was something wrong right. to not be white. And when I thought about that, I really love to talk to him now. Like I really should reach out to him and say, <laughs> I am so there. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Ron Richardson, I am so sorry. Call Julie. <laughs> we'll help you get in contact. But in, in then trading notes with some of my friends, um, that that I also would say, they would say things like, Oh, I got pulled over on the way here, you know, going down the street, I always get pulled over. They happen to be of color. And I remember just being so confused. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't get pulled over. What are you doing? Are you speeding? Like, swerving? Acting sketchy on the, in the car? Yeah, you must be doing something wrong. <laughs> I remember one day, they just looked at me, they were sick of my shenanigans, and they said, Julie, you're white. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. like being slapped in the mm-hmm. face with reality of, oh, the world isn't equal. Oh, right. You have that experience. I don't. We're doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. And that's really an, an analogy to diversity as a whole is we're all going down the same road. But the road is paved. The road has street lights. The road doesn't have police pulling you over mm-hmm. for those that have privilege. For those that have privilege, that road's pretty easy mm-hmm. to drive down. Yep. Yes, we're on the same road. Yes, you still have your setbacks. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But the potholes and the speed bumps and mm. no, no lights and, and cops and things, for people that don't have privilege, that's what the road looks like for them. And so there's those little subtle setbacks that are so hard to see, but they're everywhere. Right. And once you start to see them, we can do something about them. Right. You have to be willing to see them first. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I think there's... Um, what gets overwhelming to me, too, on, on a living level, you know, I'm I'm becoming more aware or I'm at least part of this conversation of learning what we're doing on a personal level mm-hmm. when you start getting into 
people in decision-making power creating systems that are based on this, we start getting into a, a very wide-scale oppression situation. And, and I think that's really been at the root of the generational trauma that has happened Mm -hmm. uh, because of slavery and that isn't something that people can just snap out of and get over Mm -hmm. and I've literally heard white people say why don't they just get over it and I'm thinking oh you can just get over Mm -hmm. you know the kind of pain and trauma that that has been experienced for generations and 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 because of systems that were created for people Mm -hmm. that did not have these challenges Mm -hmm. and the road you know Mm-hmm. It, having all these speed bumps and, and barriers in the road does change the experience for people, mm-hmm. whether we want to look at it or not. And I, don't, I, I mean, it is. It's really unfortunate. It's very sad to look at that true history. But because of this history, you're right. Systems have been created. We are all operating in that system. Mm-hmm. There's a wonderful book called White Fragility, like fragile itty. Mm-hmm fantastic book written by a white woman um, but she tells the story in a way that you're like oh yeah I'm contributing mm-hmm. and, and I think whiteness exploring what, what it means to be white we really don't talk about what it means to be white I don't have to tell people I'm a white woman mm-hmm. people of color we call them you're black you're brown whatever label mm-hmm. we put on them it's assumed again that white is the standard and so we're all operating in this system of which people with privilege benefit. Mm-hmm. We benefit. I benefit from being white. Right. So it's really uncomfortable to talk about because it's almost like I stand to lose something. Mm-hmm. Now I choose not to identify with that belief. It's not a zero-sum game. Right. But I think for a lot of white people or men or however you want to slice the diversity pie, I think for a lot of us we think, oh, I'm going to lose something. If someone else gains something, I lose something. Right. And it doesn't work that way. It right. doesn't. The pie actually gets bigger when we're all together. Mm-hmm. I mean, reputable companies have been studying this for decades. Harvard, <laughs> McKinsey, mm-hmm. Pew Research Center, McKinsey, or no, I already said McKinsey, um, Catalyst. Mm-hmm. And there are four organizations that publish regular annual reports, and every single report comes back saying higher profitability, better ideas, better decisions. Mm-hmm. There's some research that even suggests 2008 would not have happened, that financial crisis, had we had more diversity. Really? The Mm -hmm. risk temperance, when men and women especially Mm -hmm. work together, were like a yin-yang effect. Mm -hmm. So countries have taken very progressive stands. And these aren't all like progressive countries. Like Iceland, you have to have more women on your board if you're in a financial institution because they've said we do not want 2008 to happen again. Right. Um, gosh, there's a country in Africa. I think it's Ghana, but I, I don't want to get it, that wrong. It could be Rwanda. Rwanda, that's what it is. Because yes. I visited yeah, there last year, and there's this big shift that's happened. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, it. no, yeah, you, you were there. I've oh. only seen documentaries. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, it was powerful mm-hmm. because um, there was, so the genocide mm-hmm. that happened 25 years ago was, um, it wiped out a huge part of the male mm-hmm. population, mm-hmm. and women were all of a sudden in government positions. Mm-hmm. Now they have the highest percentage of women on their parliament mm-hmm. of any country in the world, mm-hmm. um, as far at least that was the case um, within the past year. Unless somebody's made some massive changes, I think they're probably still yeah. um, the highest percentage of women on their parliament. And even socially, culture had not turned around. It was very male dominated. But so so there were women in power and government power mm-hmm. positions of leadership in government. And they would go home, 
and face consequences with a male-dominated household situation and would uh, because they did not get dinner ready on time or you know what I mean so there there were all these social issues because yeah. there were simply no people to step in and mm-hmm. women were stepping in to, to fill these gaps but what they have found is a huge amount of change in the culture of their nation mm-hmm. because of this shift mm-hmm. there are now women um, w- w- business owners yeah. coming forth and there's a huge huge growth in uh, female-owned businesses there and all kinds of leadership development training going mm-hmm. on. It's a, it's a powerful, beautiful thing. But yeah, oh, I know. yeah. I don't no. want to take this conversation, but no, that that, was, it is awesome Rwanda you that you're that. talking yeah, about. Yeah, it is Rwanda. Um, and they had to have kind of a reset for that to happen. But I think the story there is, wow, look at what's possible in a very short period of time when you have to do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And people ask me, you know, should we have government mandates? And, you know, there's pros and cons to that approach. The Scandinavian countries had a lot of success with that. You know, California is pushing that here in the States. I'd love to think companies would just get their act together. (laughs) Wouldn't have to have a mandate. (laughs) Right? Right? But you got all this data out there, and it's been around for an awfully long time. And some organizations are really using that as the burning platform to say, we will do better because we want that higher profitability rate. I mean, we're talking double digits here. It's a lot It's a lot better money that you can make if you have a diverse team of decision makers. Well, and think about it this way, too. If your business is not mirroring your customer base, (laughs) you're off the mark. Right. Right. And so if you are like most organizations, 80% white male on the board, in the C-suite, if you're lucky, that high or that low. Um, not that it's, <laughs> it's not about the anti-white guy. But I will say, if you look like that, I guarantee your customers don't look like that. I just guarantee mm-hmm. it. So you're missing the opportunity to connect, to resonate with your customers and make more money. Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that what we all want? Sure. There's more seats at the table for yeah. everyone when we grow together. Right. It's not my seat versus your seat. Right. That's this poverty mentality of thinking, oh, if I give up my microphone, my mm-hmm. platform, my voice, that it's going to diminish me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Mm-hmm. If you hand over your mic then you have promoted the other person mm-hmm. and you have strengthened your impact as a leader. Yeah. Yeah. It's an and. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's a growth mindset, right? It's abundance over scarcity. Mm-hmm. And we, our primal brains, you know, we love to feel that fear trigger that hits our amygdala and fires. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lose something. Oh my gosh, change is scary. I could die. <laughs> None yeah. of those things are true. <laughs> we don't live in bushes anymore. I mean, come on. <laughs> But we still, um, which is really interesting. I mean, if you want a a history lesson, one thing I love to educate people on, um, besides the the women, you know, black women's right to vote is an interesting data point we don't ever hear about in history books. What we also don't hear about in history books really is we go back as far as like Mesopotamia in history, right? The beginning of human civilization. Mm Mm-hmm. Most of the data shows, like, we've been on the planet as some sort of species, you know, depending on what you prescribe to and what religious beliefs you have. But most of the data shows 200,000 years of us roaming around Mm -hmm. to some degree. Mm -hmm. And for the first 188,000 years, we were egalitarian. We were in tribes, you know, and no more than 100 square miles. You were roaming around with your tribe of usually around 100 or less people. And we did equal caretaking. Yes, mm-hmm. women obviously still had the babies, but for the most part, we were an equal society. And then 
agriculture happened. And I spent many years in agriculture. I I am pro-farmer, don't get me wrong, but Mm -hmm. that plow changed everything. Hmm. Interesting. So when the plow Hmm. came around, it favored upper body strength, which of course men have Hmm. larger upper bodies physically. They just do. Yeah. But the question becomes, well, women actually have higher stamina levels. So why wasn't there something that favored that aspect? Right. Yes. Instead, this plow comes in and all of a sudden women are inside and you, your value is based on how many farm workers you can pump out. Mm. And you stay in there. And that became women in the private space, men in the public space. And that narrative continues today. Wow. It's a new narrative. It's ten mm. to twelve thousand years old. It's very new. Mm. Um, it is not. And when I got that, I was like, finally, because people said, "Well, this is the way it's always been." Like, no, it hasn't. It hasn't always been that way. But no one wants us to know mm. right. that history, right? Because then it's like it really does challenge that ninety percent of our history has been one way, and it's just very recent that it's changed. Mm. Right. Yeah. And that you mentioned uh, spiritual backgrounds and so mm-hmm. forth. And um, you and I have ta- had mm-hmm. this conversation many times. We Seven. won't we won't um, completely go down this road today. We might have a future podcast on on women, but but when you look at the life and teaching of of Jesus, um, most of us would, who are in this um, evangelical uh, mm-hmm. history would would model our lives after after him, and. He was pro women. He was a right. lifter up of of anyone who would be considered the other, mm-hmm. women included. So true. Inclusive, people of dis, 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 yeah. inclusive. Um, people with less abilities. He would bring them forward and and see them and mm-hmm. interact in a way that was powerful and empowering for them. And when we realize that story, it no longer feels. Um, like this is this is how it was meant to be because it wasn't and mm-hmm. he came to tell us this you know he was trying in, in every way and it, I just I don't want to get off on that tangent but you know for those from this background who are saying well they're we're, we're not created equally you know mm-hmm. this was you know right. man's job and this mm-hmm. was one um, that really is misinformation right. as well. But I, do, but I do think that's a huge challenge for the church. Um, yeah. I mean, no. I'm a pastor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mean, you am. have seen yeah. some discussion around that. And I see that all the that. time. And we've had a lot of discussion about that even at my own church where, where I'm a pastor. I'm on staff. I'm not, the, I'm not the lead pastor. But we talk all the time about our value of diversity. Mm. We want to be a diverse church. And one of the very interesting things that, that has happened in the area that we live in, you know, here in Indiana, is very white, dominant, upper class, middle to upper class, um, our, our particular county. And this church sits right smack dab in the middle mm-hmm. of the county. And historically, it has been predominantly a white, a white mm-hmm. church. Interestingly enough, over the last year, we have had an influx, if you will, of Venezuelans who are refugees, really, mm-hmm. from Venezuela who have relocated here, and a growing population of Latino community in our mm-hmm. church, which has been absolutely beautiful. And it has just, it, it has, I think, been a ray of hope for, great. you know, for our church and, and the organization of it. But one of the things that I find is that when we talk so much about wanting to be a more diverse church, that has not made its way to our leadership team. Mm-hmm. And, I, and it's not that we don't want that, 
I think it's honestly we don't know how to get there. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's all. It, I mean, it's a majority. Uh, you know, white males. Um, our campus pastor is a female, but she's the only female mm-hmm. on the leadership team, and. So I guess my question would be to organizations out there, it doesn't matter whether it's a church or not, I know that there are organizations out there that will, will speak, we want to be a more diverse company, we want to be a more diverse church, we, we want to learn whatever, yeah. whatever's being spoken, how, how do we get there? <laughs> the, the infamous questions. <laughs> well, I appreciate we that there? context because yeah. you're not alone in that mm-hmm. endeavor. Um, and, and one thing before I answer that question, to close the loop, Emily, I don't know if I shared this with you. One of my early allies, his name was Kurt, is very, very religious. And you'd share those videos with me. Yes, from about the church. The about gender perspective mm-hmm. on yes. religion. And Women I shared, leadership. I forwarded them to him. I hadn't heard from him in years. He instantly emailed me like, when can you talk? He watched all four of those videos. Which one was this? I'm sorry. The gender perspectives. It was gender perspectives on religion. Okay. It was basically the woman's interpretation of the Bible. Yes. That's what I got from him. Because largely the Bible has been interpreted by men. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it was written by men. And written by men. A little bit Mm -hmm. problematic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're missing a perspective. Right. And when you get the female lens on it, it's like, oh, this is pretty eye-opening. Yes. And so mm-hmm. Kurt listened, my ally, listened to all the videos, calls me, and he says, I get it. I totally get it now. I didn't get it before. My wife has stopped going to church with me, and it's deeply affected our marriage. Mm-hmm. I'm so thankful that I got this content and now I know how to talk to her about it. I understand that. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. That's great. That's yeah, beautiful. and I That's thought, why we have these conversations. Yeah, and I that's just, right. That's why we have these conversations. forwarded an email. It took right? me five seconds. So everybody can do something like that. Like put your antenna up to this conversation. Educate yourself. Mm-hmm. Think about who could benefit from this message. Encourage other people. If social movements happen from the ground up from everyday people getting involved in them. Mm. So we all have to be willing to engage in this tough conversation. But I would say for organizations, I don't know, any organizations, like we don't want to be diverse. Sure. (laughs) If they don't want to, they're just not saying it. Just don't talk about it. Yeah, I can think of a few here in town that (laughs) run across that's like, yikes, you're not, you're going out of business soon. Like, I mean, just the cultural dynamics, ethnicity. White is not going to be the majority very soon. I mean, there are so many things that are going to shift that companies that don't get it or are not engaged now are dinosaurs. Right. Yeah. Because like, this isn't something you flip the switch on. It's a journey. It takes years. Yes, so you got to start now. Yes. So if you're starting now and you're not diverse and you want to be more diverse, how do you make that leap, right? Well, and let me also say this, too. I, it's, it feels weird even saying that when, when, when we say... Well, we want to be a more diverse church. It's like, well, why? Mm-hmm. Because we really genuinely want to have the perspective mm-hmm. of someone from a different culture, different color, mm-hmm. or do we want to look diverse? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, think about it. that's. A great, I just said it. That's a great place <laughs> to start the conversation. Why? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I just I yeah. think we have to, as any organization, we have to first of all answer that question. Do we want to look diverse or do we truly Mm -hmm. value the perspective Mm -hmm. of people who are not white? Yeah. Right. Who are different. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would challenge too. I would, it, what does diversity mean to our organization? Mm-hmm. You know, the organizations that have laser focused on gender, race, because those are always the top two. Because we can see them, it's easy to measure. Mm-hmm. Bro- I encourage people to broaden it on experiences because that includes the white guy that's going to be alienated by that race gender conversation. But also uncovering why I personally care about diversity. Mm-hmm. Why every leader on your team, I mean, if you can write a strong statement about, I personally care about this, better than it's just the right thing to do, or I like all humans. You know, people like to use this flowery language mm-hmm. that means nothing. Like, genuinely say, why do I care about this? Mm-hmm. And when you have some thinking about this, it's like, I don't know if I have mine really honed in. I just mm. feel it in my bones. Like, I just, I've, mm. I've always been curious about people that are different than me. From the time I was in college, you know, I remember in college, my friends would always joke, oh, great, we went to a party, we lost Julie, there she is off in the corner with the most random person she could possibly (laughs) find. And that didn't mean it was, like, the different Uh race or, you know, it was just somebody that was random, wearing something random, had a mohawk, whatever it was. I was like, hey, let's talk. You're interesting. Yeah, I'm like, I don't want to talk to people that are Mm -hmm. like me. I already get that. Wow. And so that's the only way I know how to learn. It's by engaging with other people, and I get better. On the other side of it, I'm a better person for being for engaging with people that are diverse. Mm-hmm. And so that statement's going to look very different for you, but I think until organizations are willing to really look in the mirror and say, we're not diverse, let's stop kidding ourselves and making mm-hmm. excuses and blaming mm-hmm. things. You know, people here in Indiana <laughs> love to say, well, our county is very white, and I know you just said that, but yeah. go south of 465. Right, you right. Find diverse communities. Yes, right. exactly. Yeah. And I, I live here in the northern, you know, the northern part of the city, and I totally get it. I have joined the Diversity Inclusion Council at my daughter's elementary school. Wonderful. But we got a lot of work to do, and yeah. until you identify the why, then build a roadmap mm-hmm. and, and acknowledge this is 5, 10, 15, 20 year thing. It just, it takes time, just like any strategic initiative or plan would, mm-hmm. which is not a good word to use to its diversity. I'll get off my soapbox here. <laughs> initiative. Diversity is not an initiative. Right. Yeah. That feels yes. short lived. Yes, right. it does. It is it's a like cultural a, shift. It's like a yeah. promotion. <laughs> it's a transformation. Yeah. It is not a flash in the plan. We're going to focus on this for a year and then we're done. Right. So I call it a roadmap. Have mm-hmm. a roadmap intentionally focused on these are our diversity pillars. These are areas we're focused on. Again, broaden it beyond race and gender. But if you just want to start there, that's great. Double down on it, measure it. Mm-hmm. Not even saying set goals around it, but measure it. Mm-hmm. How are we doing? Right. What are the things we're doing to drive this? Measure it. Make it a part of people's performance mm-hmm. reviews. Hold your managers accountable for it. Mm-hmm. If a manager doesn't have a diverse team, there's probably some bias there. Yeah. There's probably something going on. Mm-hmm. Don't let excuses like, oh, that's just the way he is, or he's a really strong leader. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Right. You're telling everybody it's not important. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You got to hold people accountable. And that that is that is the tricky part. But you have to double down on it. Be super focused on it mm-hmm. uh, for years. Mm-hmm. Great to work. Yeah. You know, uh, something you said about uh, go south of 465. I actually had a friend say, I know when I travel and I, I have to stop at Ham- in Hamilton County, I know what I'm going to get. And that's why I try to avoid it. So there's a reason that our community is white. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we're not welcoming. Right. Mm-hmm. And if and if we begin to have these conversations and understand what is it that we are doing or not doing that helps that keeps someone from feeling that they can be a part of this, whatever this mm-hmm. is, you know, our neighborhood, our organizations. Um, there's a reason they feel that they can't come, mm-hmm. and there will be a reason to come yep. when they're invited in. And that that is a big paradigm shift, mm-hmm. I think. Yes, this county is white. It's white for a reason because we have not made it conducive for, yeah. uh, for inclusion. Mm-hmm. I agree. It is a shift in how you look at it. And it doesn't mean you did anything wrong or I did anything wrong. Sure. Just means as a culture, we're not being inclu- as inclusive as we could be. We weren't paying attention. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So what could I be doing to be more welcoming? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, totally shifting gears here. Sort of. <laughs> you went on an epic trip with your daughter. Mm-hmm. You needed, you realized five years into your business you needed to go ahead and do this even though you didn't necessarily feel like it was the best time mm-hmm. to take this trip but it ended up being incredible I tell us to give us a snapshot because i saw you trip. right before wasn't it right before it was right before so. i talked about national parks <laughs> yes, yeah it was at jenny's party yeah. Yep. Uh-huh. yeah yeah there's never a good time to, to care know. about yourself, to right. practice some good self-care. And I women are notorious for this. We're all bad. I mean, go, go, go. Sleep when you're dead culture. It's just, no. <laughs> Sleep when you're dead. I have a like, blog post called that. Right? Uh, yeah. Which is also such an entrepreneurial thing as well. Like, mm-hmm. I cannot stop. I cannot mm-hmm. stop. i got to keep That's going. Right. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And realizing when you hit the pause button, you can hit the accelerator really hard mm-hmm. afterwards. Right. And so I remind myself, like, I need this self-care space to be the best version of me later. Because I do have an exhaustion factor. I will <laughs> run out of energy. Right. I will hit a wall. Mm-hmm. And I've hit that wall where either I get sick. Um, yeah, like some, no, not, not like a panic attack, but a major anxiety, you know, that over, right. is overwhelming and crippling and I'll stay in bed all day mm. if I don't proactively manage that. So I have to be really good about keeping track of my energy threshold and yeah, late this summer, I mean, this year I said, if I meet my goals, like we are going July mm-hmm. 4th, we're gone. And we did 21 days across the country, my five-year-old and I, mm. seven national parks, a lot of driving, logged over 10,000 that's so awesome I just love that I just love that and it was so good that windshield sign you know there are days Mm -hmm. we're driving 10-12 hours and just looking out the windshield and seeing the beautiful country that we have here and how diverse it is Mm -hmm. I mean I was in Bend Oregon my favorite spot not even national park Mm -hmm. (laughs) favorite spot of all talk about a diverse community I mean Bend Oregon all walks of life. Okay, shout out to Bend, Oregon. Way to go, Bend. Because <laughs> okay. I'm walking that. around the street. There's just so many different people. They're happy. Wow. You know, I got I met friends at breakfast. They invited us to spend the day with them. I mean, so welcome. Love this. Oh my gosh, it's awesome. And I mean, I, I don't know the statistics, so maybe racially it's not diverse. I felt like it was very diverse. I felt like people were just different there, mm. and they were happy. Hmm. And that's the thing. It's like we're so much happier when we give people, everyone, permission to be their full selves. Right. right? It hurts everyone. And, you know, so people love to ask me about that. Thank you for asking about it, Scott. 
I'm at a campfire last weekend with my neighbors, and by this time, it's just men and me talking, and I'm getting this speech over the campfire about, we need to all give people permission to be themselves, you, 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 you're better off, and you need to be talking about this, and they just kind of like are leaning back in their chairs, like, oh boy, like this is a lot. Oh yeah. Julie's holding court. Yeah. I know, but it's just, it's the people that we're not talking to that I wish were talking about this, and once they have that light bulb moment of like, oh wow, that would be really good for me, like that feels very freeing, like, oh, I could benefit from mm that mm. feeling too not having to hold back being macho I mean there's so many mm. stigmas that oh affect goodness. masculinity but isn't that true though I mean I love what you just said about freedom wouldn't that feel freer mm. to it, we started we did a conference um, a couple weekends ago and one of the things that we spoke was what if love looked less like work and mm. more like relief yeah and I think that is very right. much what you're saying yep. here that when we when we, even going further back in our conversation here today, you were talking about sometimes the fear that we have of saying, I don't think I really understand. I, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I think I might be racist, mm-hmm. even, you know, un- unknowingly, but I... Complicit. I think I, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I might and be contributing. I might yes. be contributing to this. But sometimes we are quiet because we're afraid to say it. But the freedom that comes with saying... I don't get this, but I want to understand this That's and right. understand my... I, it is a relief to have oh, that conversation. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. It's so freeing to be like, I don't have to have all the answers. Right? I don't have to know everything. I'll run, duck, and hide every time this gets brought up. Like, mm-hmm. you know what? I don't get it. Mm-hmm. I want to learn. Right. And but don't I, put all the ownership on the other person to teach you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there are things called books and podcasts. Yes, there is. Right. And Netflix has amazing documentaries about... Let's Racial give a few. perspectives. Yeah, let's let's give the folks a few, and we'll link them in the profile. Yeah, thirteen. Thirteen. We've oh lost it. It's heartbreaking. Oh, it's, it's devastating. Mm. I mean, I I just get tissues for all mm-hmm. these things. Mm-hmm. Um, thirteen was awesome. Chelsea Handler did something really <laughs> white privilege. Oh, I want to hey, see if that. her so audience was, watches it. It's education oh, well, for she's them. She's a riot anyway. But. I think if if the people that follow her follow it, I mean. She really went on a limb. I, I got to be honest. It was not that educational. <laughs> Pretty but edgy? It, no. It was, it, well, it was just very, like, okay, I know this, I know this, I know this. And, sure. Yeah. You know, it was funny. She's in a room with all people of color. And, like, so you're kind of using your privilege right now to have a Netflix special about privilege. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But we can't shame the people that try. So I'm definitely right, not going to do right, that. Right. But it's, it's not overwhelmingly educational. It's just, it is funny and entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um and then I'm trying to think of the other ones on Netflix. There's some really good books by African American authors yeah. that I think um, we actually have in our resource uh, library. Do we yes, we still have that right. Uh, we have to revamp it because um, we were actually rejected by Amazon. What's the program uh, that they have? Like the affiliate program. Affiliate program, program, yeah. Because we didn't get enough hits. We didn't sell enough books. We were not given a voice. So we have had to revamp our resources area. And so I will revamp it. But we have have from Mm -hmm. the Racial Reconciliation podcast, we have a list of resources that need Mm -hmm. to be up. And we will add add back to that. White Fragility, the book I mentioned earlier. It's such a good book. And um, I'm trying to think. One one final thought for the group, um, too, those that are listening. 
check your bias. I mean, there's a free online assessment from Harvard called implicit.harvard.edu. Highly recommend it. Mm. Um, takes 10 minutes of your time, but you can kind of get a pulse on your own bias that you might have that That's might be preventing great. you from having this conversation. No, and we'll link that. It's such a powerful tool. No one has to see it. It's anonymous. It's free. Mm. It's pictures and words. Mm. And, you know, it's fail-proof. I mean, they've had people take it 20 times to get the same result. It is spot on. That's really That's good. great. Mm-hmm. And only then, when you become aware, can you do something about it. Right. And that that's where, that's the journey you're talking about from awareness to activity. Mm. That we're really stuck yeah. right there in this country, especially. We mm. just can't quite get people moving. Mm-hmm. Once you have education, once you have self-awareness, you can do anything. That is exactly right. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. glad you said that. Yeah. Yes. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Julie, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank we have you. a lot more to talk about. We do. I know. We need a part two. I, mean, we'll do this I was going to say, I don't think this is over. This is <laughs> no. Well, invite no, me no, back no. anytime. Yeah. Yeah. I love yeah. it. And you make a fantastic cocktail as well. well thank you. <laughs> you know, I'm fairly new to this. This is a Friday afternoon, so. That's right. Yes, afternoon. listeners. We... Yes, 5 o'clock somewhere. <laughs> well, hey, everyone. Thanks for joining the conversation today with Julie and Emily and I. And, um, just continue to love better at home, in your community, and around the world. That's right. And check the links on the profile. Thank you.